Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Welcome back to Movement. It's great to be with you today. I have the privilege of sitting down with Mark Foley. Mark is one of the pastors of our churches at Grange Baptist. Uh, he is a father of 10, five yes. biological children and five long-term foster children. That's correct. Recent grandfather of three. Yes. Yeah. Three, yep. not not triplets. No, but. not triplets. <laughs> three in the last six months. That's pretty exciting. The youngest exciting. is two weeks old. The oldest has just had turned six months. Congratulations. Mm. Uh, now, Mark also lived down on the beach and loves you know loves the water and yep. uh, loves to play a hit of golf every now yes. and then, hang out with just people. Just around the corner from the Glenelg Golf Course, which Fair. is just delightful. Um, and Mark's role in our movement is as the pastoral services facilitator at Baptist Churches of South Australia, which yep. basically means looking after or making sure that our pastors have systems and structures and ways of keeping them healthy. That's correct, yeah. Great. So yeah. great to have you with us today, Mark. Good um, to be here. thought I'd start by asking you a question I've been asking everyone, which is, can you tell us a bit about the experiences in your life and the passions that have shaped you and led you to where you find yourself today in pastoral ministry? That's a huge and wonderful question. I guess it starts from my own background as a person who became a follower of Jesus at a relatively young age from a good Christian family um, who were very hospitable and caring and had good relationships within the church where they served faithfully. Mm-hmm. So uh, my best friend was the son of a pastor. Right. Um, so all those early experiences obviously shaped me. But it wasn't mm-hmm. until I went to university I started to realise there's a whole uh, aspect of the community that have never heard about Jesus and right. so through that experience became quite passionate also about reaching the lost or you know, mm-hmm. sort of being a, a pastor that was engaged with people who didn't yet come to know Jesus or didn't yet know Jesus and so sort of early experiences of being connected with a pastoral family, mm-hmm. being heavily involved in the life of the church and coming to this sort of real, realisation that people don't yet know Jesus sort of all combined to lead me eventually into pastoral ministry. Yeah. Um, I guess I always felt that God, I was going to spend my life serving God. I didn't mm-hmm. know what shape or form, but that had been modelled by my parents who were both in the secular workforce but lived to serve God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went, did a science degree. Right. But didn't study very well at that because I was heavily involved in the Christian group at university mm-hmm. and... Uh, while there, picked up some theology subjects just to fill my time. And the principal at the time, Ralph Legg, said, why don't I come full-time? So I went straight on after four years of a science degree to do the complete my ordination training for the following four years. Mm-hmm. wouldn't quite say I hated every moment of it, but I'm not a good student. Right. The thought of sitting inside by myself with books is not mm-hmm. something that energises me because I just love being with people mm-hmm. um, and engaging with people. So... Study wasn't something that I enjoyed lots. Talking with other students was always fun. Which is interesting how the different uh, experiences and things that we love have shaped us, I think. So someone who loves the people side of it and then has been in pastoral ministry for a long time, still in pastoral ministry. Um, Are there particular experiences that you've had in ministry with people that kind of shape the heart that you now have for seeing other pastors be healthy? Yeah, certainly. I mean, with other pastors, it was interesting. And whether it was because of my country background, having grown up in Mount Gambia, and where there was good relationships between churches and all the Christians of the community. Mm -hmm. Whether it was as a first-time solo pastor when I was um, 
late 20s, so I'd just turned 30, and I became a senior solo pastor at a church in Geelong. Mm-hmm. Um, and my naturally, I suddenly realised that the weight of responsibility as pastor now rested on me, and I felt young, inexperienced, and away from my previous college colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked proactively at getting to know other pastors around me, both mm-hmm. ba- Baptist pastors, but also interdenominational pastors. We worked in partnership together, and it has created an ongoing uh, desire to be in good relationship with other pastors. Mm-hmm. And I think as part of that, I realise that many pastors do struggle mm-hmm. with that same sense of isolation, the sense of responsibility, the sense of wondering whether they're doing a good job, mm-hmm. um, the sense of expectations with themselves or of the, from the church that can weigh them down mm-hmm. and cause them to go, to sort of struggle and leave pastoral role. Mm-hmm. Um, so those sort of experiences were quite profound in uh, me uh, wanting to always walk alongside other pastors, mm-hmm. partly selfishly. Yeah. I, I need other yeah. people to support me and encourage me. I value that. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming other pastors need the same. Yeah, great. Um, and partly because as I hear the stories I travel with, pastors, mm-hmm. you know, journey alongside pastors, you would hear the stories of their mm-hmm. struggles and challenges and think, mm-hmm. well, perhaps we can do this together. Mm, yeah, fantastic. And what about the, I guess, passions that drive you? As you know, you said you're a people person. You yeah. like walking alongside people. Any sense of where those come from or why those things get you excited? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. I mean, what makes our particular personalities and passions, mm. I guess, is you know, it's all sort of a mixture of things. I mean, clearly, my family background, where my parents had this open house policy. Mm-hmm. We always had visitors over. We had if. You know, uni graduates came to Mount Gambia to work, and my family sort of adopted them mm-hmm. in as part of their own family. Um, so those sort of experiences obviously been quite formative. Even in Papua New Guinea, where I first spent the first eight years of my life. Oh, wow. Um, you know, the houseboy, mm-hmm. which, you know, looking back, is really a slave, wow. but was mm. treated by my family as a member of the family. Right. My dad actually, we sponsored them through university yeah, because of their hospitable, inclusive, welcoming nature. And I think a lot of that has picked up on myself. Yeah. Um, Well, obviously, we mentioned before, you have um, your own biological children and then some long-term foster children. I know that's something you've been, you know, passionate about. Absolutely. Part of your life. And again, that was something that we fell into almost just because a number of experiences of life caused us to have people living in our home. And we realised without some training, we didn't necessarily know what we were doing. So we went into some training. The best place we trained was within the foster system. And once we got training, they said, why don't you have some kids? Um, it was interesting. I actually only recently had a uh, Facebook message from one of a, a 10-year-old who'd moved into our home mm-hmm. when I was teaching RE in Geelong. So I found him one night on the side of the street. He'd just been kicked out of home. He lived yeah. with us about three or four months. It was really yeah. hard work. Um, and he's just sent me a message. They've been looking for you. Great to make connection. I want to say thank you for sticking with me and for just, you know, and I think, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's, a, I guess, the expression of a pastoral heart. The yeah. other thing about fostering, which is related to my pastoral ministry, one of the things I discovered as a pastor is... Often you get opportunities to speak into people's lives 
but your ability to actually influence people is limited mm. because they still make their own choices. Mm-hmm. And depending on the circumstances of which they find themselves, often are unable to make the choices that they know and you know would be life-giving mm-hmm. because their surrounding circumstances, their support structures are just not adequate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was an f- inherent frustration in me that you'd pour your life and energy yeah. into someone and then their life would go pear-shaped mm-hmm. because they just didn't have the community around them to support them, the other structures. Um, and so the best way to influence people is have them live in your home. Yeah, yeah. So that was part of the influence of moving into that, which is related to the whole partial heart and uh, partial frustration in some yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, it makes me think about, you know, the New Testament talks a lot about the church as family. Yeah. And I know I've heard you talk about kind of encouraging Christians and churches to think about fostering because that idea of actually welcoming people into yeah, your yeah. family is maybe – a bit more of a bridge too far for some people. We talk about it in theory, but they're That's actually right. practicing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, for us, it was it was never a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, once doing it, we realised how big it was, okay. and then you hear occasional comments from someone um, like Ben, this young lad, who talks about how big it was for him. Right. But you, we sort of fell into it just because it seemed a normal... That's what Christians do. We are hospitable people that are called to welcome strangers into our homes, uh, to care for orphans and widows. How better to do that than to actually come and live within? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess because of our own family structure with five kids, one of whom with a significant disability, mm-hmm. we were not a normal family. If there is such a thing. <laughs> that's right, if there is such a thing. So to have others into it didn't appear too disruptive. Right. Now, we underestimated <laughs> how challenging it could be, but nevertheless, that was part of the motivation uh, or the opportunity, the, yeah, the possibility. Um, yeah, and I yeah. think it's, it's something that's a, a great testimony, I think, of your family, but also mm. just like you're saying, just something that you just live out as yeah. part of your faith. Day by day. That's right. And at the moment, you know, we've got to that stage where three of, well, I mean, we've already got three children at home now, I think. I think it's three at home now. Um, and, uh, the, you know, so the challenge of the home life is much mm. less. We're starting to reap the rewards of having a large family, mm. even if it's fairly time demanding mm. to try and keep track of all of these adults with their now partners and children. Mm. Um, but it's very rewarding, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So one of the other questions I've been asking people on our podcast, we talk about listening and imagining together. Uh, and so I wonder who who might be listening. We don't really know, um, but we're hoping who across our movement might be listening. And I think maybe because of your particular role, people might think, oh, you're particularly speaking to pastors. Mm. But who, who do you hope might be listening to our conversation? Well, I mean, instantly I think, of, I mean, there's three types of people there is pastors because I think it's really important for pastors to be aware of their role and the isolation that can create and Mm -hmm. therefore the importance of being proactive in establishing good relationships with people outside of their system who they can turn to for support. So that's something that's really important for me. Um, And it doesn't have to be complex or, you know, sort of... um, really in-depth relationships in the sense of professional it just needs to be people you're comfortable with yes. that you can do life with yeah. that family yeah, <laughs> can be family i remember an older pastor when i first started said to me very cynically 
He said, you know, as a pastor, your only real friend is going to be your family, so make sure you invest heavily in your family, which was both cynical but good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so there's the family. And there's, then I think there's uh, all followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'd love to think that as followers of Jesus, we recognize, A, the value of relationships mm-hmm. with people within the church, with our pastors, but also with people who don't yet know Jesus, mm-hmm. just to spend time and invest in relationships with people around you, the people that God puts in your path, people that you have connection with. Take the time just to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, often we, I think, can see, treat one another as means to an end. Mm-hmm. As pastors, we can do that of our people, the means to the end of achieving great churches and wonderful ministries. Mm-hmm. As people, we can do that as pastors, as, as chaplains, to make me feel better when I'm struggling or to provide my needs when I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly of people who don't yet know Jesus, we can treat them as if, you know, here's another success story I right. can tell. Project. Yeah. Project. Yeah. Um, but just to be in relation with people for who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm becoming more and more aware that the whole heart for helping people see or wanting to see people come to know Jesus is actually more about allowing God to be at work in genuine relationships than it is to be anything really proactive or with a particular strategy in mind to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the second category. The third yeah. category, of course, people who don't yet know Jesus. All um, right. You yep. know, it's probably not going to be too many. But you never know. Uh, you might but be you never know. And, uh, you know, I think uh, many of you, if you are listening, um, will know other followers of Jesus. Mm. And I said, don't be too scared of them. <laughs> They're ordinary people just like me, yep. <laughs> um, if you call me ordinary. But we're all odd people just like me. <laughs> yes. Perhaps is a better way to put it. Um, it's fair for all of us. And in fact, one of the things I'm discovering, I was talking with someone today about the more you get to know people, the more you realise how we're all odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no such thing as a normal family, there's that's no such right. thing as a normal person. Yeah. 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 We're all unique. But that's yeah. right. So, yeah. yeah. Excellent. So one of the things um, for people like yourself, having a role where you are across uh, a number of churches across our movement, you get to interact with a whole range of pastors. So you get to maybe see and hear and learn things that not everybody else is seeing. Yeah. So what is it that you've been learning and hearing and seeing? Oh, that is um, it's a big question. Um, and I guess it depends what... As I think about pastors themselves and their well-being, I'll mm-hmm. put that hat on for a yeah. minute. Um, I think there are many pastors who um, have resigned themselves to making do. Right. And in order to look after themselves and to be faithful to the expectations of the congregation, they have lost a sort of imagination for what could be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to become I'm going to be a chaplain because that's mm. a safer option right uh, I'm going to provide good pastoral care I'm going to ensure the services are good mm-hmm. um, but anything more than that will end up with disappointment both for them and for me mm-hmm. so that's too hard so we'll just be really good at that which we know they want and I can provide mm. um, so yeah. I think I know what you mean, but when you say, you know, well, I'll just be good at it and we'll just keep, what's the downside of just being good? <laughs> just having good services and good pastoral care. What are we missing if that's all we're doing? I mean, it was, it was a couple of years ago I was interviewed on um, Life FM 
um, as they were doing this series where they once a week they'd interview a pastor. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they gave me a whole lot of prepared questions, which I didn't get a chance to answer because it was very so brief and short. But at the end, the lady says to me, so uh, you've been a Christian for a long time. If you were to tell someone, why should you be a Christian? What would you say? Mm. Which was not a question I'd been prepared for. Right. And it sort of threw me for a bit. I thought, how do you summarise that, given how short this interview is? And in the end, I said, the best thing about being a Christian, why I want anybody to be a Christian, is because God is God, He's on about achieving his purpose for the world, which is a whole new creation where everything's going to be perfect, and he invites you and me to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you want to be something, a part of something like that? Yeah. Um, now, that encapsulates, I guess, why just going through the motions mm-hmm. of doing church, even if you do it really well, yeah. is just not enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an adventure that God mm-hmm. calls us on, and it's an adventure with a known destination and a God who's present with us in it. Mm-hmm. Why be satisfied with anything less? That's great. That being part of that adventure. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I, there was a song we used to sing in a church I was in previously that had this line that always captured me, and it was, Jesus, you're my great adventure. Yeah. And I'd, I, I don't know, I don't want to presume, but you know, I think people might not look at me and they might not look at you and think of us as looking like the greatest adventurers. <laughs> <laughs> but actually there's something, you know, absolutely. there's something in this invitation from God to be yeah. a part of this great adventure in the world. I'm with and you. I, I actually feel that most pastors become pastors because they get a glimpse mm. of that adventure. Yeah. Um, but they discover the reality of partial work come, sometimes can sap it out of them, yeah. which goes back to that first group that I was mentioning about, you know, mm. the things I'm observing. There are some pastors that just say the adventure is too hard, it's mm. too costly, I just can't keep doing it. Mm. And people don't want us to take them on that adventure anyway, mm. so why am I pushing this jelly uphill? You know, mm. this, yeah. Why am I struggling against this when people don't want it so let's just do what they want and do what gets you know sort of enables me to keep going Mm. i wonder as you were talking then too whether it's for pastors but also for for christians like saying most people probably become followers of jesus because there's that adventure that invitation and then we settle into the routines of christian life yeah and maybe lose something of that yeah and i mean he could comment on the whole covid experience of that as house that whole journey is always there's a microcosm you can watch it happening as mm-hmm. people first and pastors in particular the COVID hit there was a sense of ah yes at last something new <laughs> something here's different. a new challenge here's something yeah. we and they didn't have the choice they yeah. had to do something different mm-hmm. but then after a while it's like oh this is hard mm-hmm. and we'll just settle back into how we've done it before or just slightly tweaked yeah because <laughs> that's the comfortable way going forward mm-hmm. um yes yeah so that's but I think as Christians generally it's it's the adventure appears, yeah, it's too hard. And mm. I, there's this thing in the West mm. where for many people they feel like life is hard. It's interesting, I've been reflecting on this personally recently about my own language, okay. about you know, how you're going, and there's a sense of people express it in a sense of we're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They, they may say it in all sorts of ways. I'm busy, busy. Yeah, tired. Oh, it's hectic, I'm tired. Yeah. You know, that's the language we're using all the time to describe our life. And I, I think, why? Mm. I mean, what have we not got <laughs> that we would need to change it? Yeah. You know, we're, we're living in, I mean, even at this time of COVID, everything's up topsy turvy. South Australia is probably one of the best place, places in the world. Yeah. Mm. We live in a beautiful place. We're entering spring. Mm. 
<laughs> if we can't celebrate life at the moment, hmm. how can we? And yet our language so often talks about being overwhelmed, being yeah. tired, everything's a struggle. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. So what are you seeing um, maybe where people who are doing it well, like where they are able to overcome that sense? What do you, what do you think is helping people, I don't know, I don't know regain yeah, the sense of adventure yeah. or move beyond just going through the motions? A pastor from another denomination some years ago asked me to be their supervisor. Mm-hmm. And I said, why do you want me as part of their PDP, their equivalent? Right. And I asked them, why are you asking me? He says, well, you're the next generation above me. And in my denomination, I actually can't find a pastor who's not cynical. Wow. Yeah. Which quite surprised me. Yeah. Us, but it's got me thinking around, actually, there's not too many pastors who've been doing it for as long as I have either. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been ordained 35 years or close to. Yeah. I've certainly been in pastoral ministry that long of some form. And you think, well, what's kept me fresh? Mm. What has? And there's probably two things right. that I can identify clearly. There's lots of other bits and pieces mm-hmm. uh, related to personality and all sorts. One is ensuring I take the opportunity to celebrate where I see God at work, mm-hmm. to notice, to be attentive mm. to what I'm seeing yeah. and mm-hmm. to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can be little tiny things. You know, and they can be... You know, standing in church and in your congregation, there's someone with a disability. Mm-hmm. And taking the moment just to see through their eyes the joy mm-hmm. of being in a community who loves and accepts them mm-hmm. and of feeling something of the incredible gift that the church is to each other mm-hmm. as witnessed or experienced in particular through that thrill person or to mm-hmm. see their joy in worship. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, he's got to work. Great. Um, or it could be a side conversation you have with someone that we, you know, you've got a relationship with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and they start asking a question. They make a comment about something that brings up a topic. You think, where did that come from? <laughs> God's at work. Yeah, nice. You know, so and, the, and when you start looking, you start you seeing see it. it everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so many places where God is already at work. Mm. And to think that he invites me to come into that, wow, you know, yeah. why, you know, why can I not be excited or mm. um, want to be a part of that? That's great. So noticing so, and celebrating was so the first one. one. And the second one is my own relationship with God itself. Right. So it's, and that's something that, again, is I don't feel I've ever been good at. Mm-hmm. I When I first coming to the end of my college years, we had a pastor come and talk with us about what it means to finish well. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of conversations about, okay, we're about to start out, but how do we finish well? And I remember thinking very clearly about people in my life who I'd looked up to as a kid, the ones who I wanted to be, emulate, people in the church who I felt were quite they were a great example of what a godly, elderly Christian is like. Mm-hmm. And I often think, I want to be someone like them. Yeah. And then you go through life thinking, yeah, I'll be like that one day, <laughs> not realising you actually have to start straight away right. at the practices, yeah. behaviours, disciplines, because it's a lifetime of development. Mm. Um, and so I've always, though I've struggled with it and don't do it well, I've always made a high priority of saying, this is about my relationship with God, mm-hmm. um, that my faith is not what I do yeah i don't feed my faith by what i do Mm -hmm. there has to be another source Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's something that's always bubbled away. There have been times where that's really been strengthened, mm-hmm. and there are other times where I take it for granted and it wanes. Mm. Um, but that's just such a vital part of staying fresh alive that we constantly recognise God's gift of grace. Mm. Um, and it's been interesting in my own experience of fostering, mm-hmm. where as a foster parent to children who have you know, backgrounds that can be quite traumatic, you realise how giving you need to be as a parent mm-hmm. and how hard it is for them to receive it. And I right. often, it's because we reflect my own relationship with God mm-hmm. and how patient he is and how constantly he's extending grace to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things sort of tie up with what is it, just that, how good it is that. God invites us to be in relationship with him. Mm. Um, and why would I not want to invest in it? Mm. Remember uh, early on in my life, having grown up in a good Baptist church <laughs> where the quiet time was the... Right, that's the, the gold, gold standard. standard yes. That's right. And quiet I remember, times. in fact, my Bible study leader, dear godly man who was my maths teacher <laughs> and my youth group leader, um, and he said to me, once you know i can't think in the last 20 years when i've missed my quiet time mm-hmm. and at that stage my quiet time was pretty hit and miss i was a young dad um you know tired youth pastor thinking <laughs> <laughs> i can't think you know sort of i can't remember when i last had one <laughs> he said he's never missed one yeah and thinking the, re- the the routine of that yeah but that actually became quite uh counterproductive right because you think it's about doing this yeah, stuff. Yeah, it becomes the thing that you it's do. It's the thing that you do yeah. rather than... And part of it was that every time I went to spend time with God, I felt really guilty about the times I hadn't <laughs> been spending with God. And so I'd come, I'd come to him the first time talking, oh, God, I'm so sorry for you know, not being here. You know, I'm really, yeah. I've let you down. I haven't had my quiet time in the last week. It's, mm. I thought that someone said to me once, you know, every time you sit down with God, he's just delighted. Mm to be able to engage with you. Mm. And that constant reminder that God is this, lav- this God who lavishly loves us, who mm. delights in us, mm. who dances at the thought of us. Mm. That's image from Zephaniah. Yeah, it's great image, isn't it? It's just, I think we lose that. Mm. Um, and we get caught up in the tasks of Christian life. <laughs> Rather, the delight of being a child of God, who he loves lavishly. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's great. I'm probably the same as you when I first became a Christian. It was all the quiet time was yeah, the yeah, phrase yeah. and the, the quiet as an extrovert and an external processor. I just have to be quiet. And, you know, sometimes it's being in loud places or being right. out in, at the beach or, you know, yeah. hearing the pounding waves or whatever yeah. it is. But whatever it is, invitation. making sure that you yeah. just keep investing your relationship with God. Mm. That, look, that's true for pastors, but it's, I think the other thing I've been really learning and I want to ask you a question about this is for me when I first became a Christian it, quiet time sounds very individual so you just do it on your own oh, it's yeah. very personal and you're responsible and what I've learned over the years is how how important it is but also how helpful it is to have other people yeah. and to do it in community and share yeah. it together and I know um, that's been a passion of yours in terms of Caring for pastors, but probably for caring for all of us, yeah. like this idea of relationship that we're not called to do it alone. Absolutely. Yeah. So are there ways that you see people supporting each other really well and th- the things that 
whether it's pastors or Christians can be doing together to mm. encourage each other in those things. It's, it's interesting because as humans, we can tend to um, gravitate to uh, the lowest common denominator. Right. And so as pastors, with all good intent, we want to support each other. We get together, but the spiritual content of what we do is too hard. Right. So we okay. just catch up and we right. say, that was valuable. And as Christians, yeah. we thought, oh, we had great fellowship today. We sat around and talked <laughs> about talked. football. <laughs> yeah. And you think, hang on a minute, there's more to that. Mm-hmm. There is something for me about God's word and about submitting ourselves to it, mm-hmm. about allowing it to shape us, form us, inform us, mm-hmm. transform us, um, and doing that together. There's something really powerful. Now, this is not in a pastoral context, but in my previous church, for whatever reason, I developed this pattern of meeting with men each week. Mm-hmm. In the end, we had about six or seven groups of three or four men who would meet together for 45 minutes, read through a passage of Scripture, talking about it in our lives, share faith, uh, share what we thought, pray for each other, and go on our way. Mm-hmm. The only rule we had was we to talk about church, okay. which was quite interesting. When you get people from church together and yeah. you want to talk faith, yeah. generally you end up talking about church. Mm. Yeah. But we weren't allowed to, particularly when some of these, many of these were leaders within the church as a pastor. When you meet mm. with your leaders, what do you do? Mm. You talk about church. church. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other interesting thing was they use the same passage with all six groups. Okay. So for me personally, I ended up reading the same passage. We worked our way through Mark's Gospel initially. Right. The same passage with six groups each week. Yeah. So I'm immersed in hearing what people are thinking about this passage and out speaking mm-hmm. to them. And I realised how valuable it is to allow other people to talk with a whole range of people about Scripture and how they're mm-hmm. hearing it, what it's saying to them, what God's... I mean, how rich that was for me personally. Oh, who knows what benefit the others found from <laughs> it. But for me, it was incredibly formative. Yeah. That has shaped then for me the importance of um, doing that with other pastors. Mm-hmm. So when I encourage pastors to get together... I think it's really important that we have Scripture as part of it. And again, it's coming back to the lowest common denominator because as pastors, we get together, we just talk about the woe is me, the talk church, shop. and talk shop, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think uh, one of it, an influential book for me was one called Resident Aliens by Howvouse and... Okay, um, yeah. Stanley Howvouse. Stanley Howvouse uh, and someone else. Yep, William, William. Um, right. And he made, there's a great section there about pastors when they get together. Their leak is their mutual loneliness. Oh. And they share war stories together, desperately hoping that one of them doesn't get, find success and therefore <laughs> no. exclude themselves from the from the, from the group. group. Oh dear, that's sad. <laughs> it's this really sort of, but yeah, but I saw that, mm-hmm. and I realised right from the beginning when I first started meeting with other pastors the importance of a not being in competition, sharing great success stories, mm-hmm. but also not just wallowing in each other's struggles. Mm-hmm and telling more stories. Mm-hmm. There has to be another way. Yeah. And if you grab scripture, <laughs> then there's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. that, that uh, it engenders mm-hmm. because you're shaped by what God is saying, mm-hmm. not by what we're feeling or experiencing or wanting to whether beat our breasts or pat ourselves on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got another conversation mm-hmm. and another voice that is actually the voice yeah. That has called us into the role 
and encourage us to continue it. So. Mm. No, I love it. I've, something I've been thinking about that that idea of actually, I think it actually came out out of a discussion I had on the Trinity, but the idea that God is already having a conversation, yeah, and we're invited into it, and that. Is to imagine and enter into the conversation God's already yeah. having rather than start with our own, oh, this yeah. is what's going on for me. Um, yeah. You know, there's a time and place for unleashing our burdens, yeah. but there's something life-giving about hearing Absolutely. what God's saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, the conversation is so much more than just a dry talk fest. Mm. I have on my in my office a, a statue that was I had made for me while I was visiting a, a mission team in Malawi, Mozambique. Mm-hmm. They had a pretty traditional wooden statue with two adults and a child in a circle right. holding hands. Yep. And I said, oh, I love this, but I want it changed. I want to have three similar size pictures. And right. ideally, I would have liked to have it open mm-hmm. because I saw it as an image of God inviting us into the community of the Godhead, mm. the Trinity. Yeah. Um, and But I see it almost as a bit of a dance. There's that sense in which God invites us into a dance with him. Mm-hmm. There's, he's the leader we get to follow but following is much more than um, just being told what to do yep. there's a synchronicity is that the right word? Yeah, or, that's, um, it's just delightful my wife and I have attempted some floor and dance classes <laughs> nice. we attempted it three times <laughs> And the first two times I ended up burying someone. <laughs> Firstly, it was the dance teacher. <laughs> not, as a result, the... not as a result of my dancing, although it could have been. Um, oh, and the second time it was a relative of one of our dance uh, um, <laughs> companions. But anyway, all three attempts, we're, we're really not cut out for dancing. It's been great fun, but it's taught yeah. us something of the delight of being in that sort of dance-type relationship with the living God yeah. that it's he a, invites us into. Yeah, it's a great image, isn't it? It's yeah. similar to what we talked before about the image of adventure, the image of the yeah. dance that yeah that God invites us in and the, the singing over, all these kind oh, of pictures that right. inspire and delight rather yeah. than add burden Absolutely. and pressure. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. Yeah. Can I ask, what would you say to people from, ch- from our churches who might be listening in around, I guess, caring for, particularly for their pastors, um, you know, thinking about how, how do we – care for those who might be struggling or might be, you know, on the cynical side or um, what can we be doing? It's a, it's a, that's a really interesting question that and I don't know how to say this so that it's not misheard, but right. sometimes the pastor's biggest challenge is themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, their own unrealistic expectations, uh, their desire uh Yeah, what they feel that they should be doing, Mm -hmm. Uh, their own lack of boundaries, um, which is caused by all sorts of things. Um, So um, I guess the best thing is is to be gentle with your pastor. The second thing, and perhaps the more important one, uh, this rarely happens. As a pastor, the thing that I would get up in the morning for mm-hmm. is knowing that I was seeing somebody who wanted to come and talk to me about how can I be a better, more faithful follower of Jesus. Right, yeah. No one ever rings you as a pastor. <laughs> just want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I just want to talk to you. How can I be? Now, that's, when I say no one, that's like, yeah. quite true, and I've had the privilege recently a number of times where people have said, just want to catch up and tell you mm-hmm. that because of this, this or this, God's been doing work in my life, and how do I keep growing it? Mm. They are the most mm. life-giving conversations 
mm. for a pastor. If you want your pastor to flourish, <laughs> yeah. go and ask them how can they grow in their in your faith. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I resonate. I was just meeting with someone from my church a few weeks ago who was talking to me about how they'd been reading through the Gospels and said, you know, I just feel like I'm getting to know Jesus as a person and I want to ask you some questions about it. And I'm with you. It's like, this is gold. Can <laughs> I have right. more of yeah, these conversations? Right. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's just pastors, is it, for all of us as Christians? Yeah. How, do, how do we naturally just have conversations and share with each other what, yeah. we're, what we're learning about Jesus and what he's saying and how we can follow him? That's right. And I think because most people want to. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even discovering many of our non-Christian friends are wanting yeah. opportunities to talk without feeling like they're being thrust down their throat yeah. or forced to have a position they're not ready to have yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of us, there's yeah. something life-giving about talking about the character of this living God who loves mm-hmm. us. Um, and, yeah, so if you want to encourage your pastor, <laughs> ask them <Yeah. laughs> to talk about what it means to know Jesus better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, now there's lots of other things I yeah. could say. <laughs> you can talk lots about all and kinds lots of, of other practical things. Practical systems and structures, right. but I like it. I like because Jesus, you know, we are Jesus centered. That's, yeah. that's what we're on about, that's right. isn't it? That's well, the heart of who we are. And I suppose the corresponding could ask them about any ideas that, you know, would be helpful for how you could share your faith with your neighbors. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's yeah. all part of the same thing. Ask them about yeah. what it means to follow Jesus, how to do it better. Yeah. Um, because. Yeah, that's why that's why we got into the job. We mm. didn't get into the job to be managers of an organisation mm. we called church. Yeah, we didn't get into the the calling mm-hmm. because we wanted to necessarily be preachers in the strict mm. sense of the word. Mm. But because something within the, what we've discovered about God is something we want to share, mm. and we want other people to catch that too. Mm. Um, no, that's, that's excellent. I love it. And I know this is not maybe a main topic of conversation, but I just think, oh, I think about those people who maybe are considering or have never even thought about becoming a pastor. It's like, yeah, that's the heart, oh. isn't it? If you want to tell people about Jesus and have the opportunity to lead people in becoming faithful followers yeah. of Jesus, think about pastoral ministry. Absolutely. And look, I mean, let's see if we go down that path. Because <laughs> I actually think pastoral ministry is the biggest privilege in the world. Right, Yeah. When, when you think, and I've got to be careful here because people say, well, why do we pay you? But, <laughs> you do it for free. <laughs> that's right. But that sense of we are actually set aside to live the best possible life. Yeah. Yeah, we get it, to. It's funny because people actually say, oh, I need to pray for the pastor because he's got such a hard job. I think, what? <laughs> I've set aside to work with God's people about God's business. Mm. You know, I'm praying for you because yeah. you're the ones out in the front line doing the work of, you know, of gospel work mm-hmm. i'm just supporting you i'm cheering you up from the sidelines you know you guys are doing the real work but you know not only that but we actually got the time mm-hmm. to actually structure our days to spend yeah. with god to meet with our neighbors mm-hmm. to spend with our families we've got flexibility mm-hmm. um but something about pastors we get we get burdened mm-hmm. um we feel the weight of the world i mean i've had that struggle myself i remember after three years as a solo pastor, going on the holidays and suddenly realising that something about how I was going about pastoral ministry communicated that that church was my hobby, right. and it was the parishioner's job to help me have a good good time doing it. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> Which was yeah. a horrible sort of realisation. Yeah. Rather than actually, my job is to to support you in as we together fulfill God's calling to be his people in the world. 
Yeah, Preach so. it. Amen. <laughs> so I love how we've been talking, really we're talking a lot about, you know, about Jesus, about yeah. the basics of listening to Jesus. But um, one of the, the last questions I wanted to ask you was about this particular season we find ourselves in. Like we've mentioned briefly, yeah. COVID is really the, the shaping factor of 2020, although there might be other things. Yeah. Um, but what are you seeing as maybe the unique opportunities or challenges that are happening at the moment? I'm not sure whether this actually answers your question, but perhaps because I'd like to talk uh, just a comment about some of the reflections I've had on this season, and I, yeah. and it's not it's not principally about COVID. Yeah, although no, I think COVID has probably put a bit of a spotlight on it. Yeah, you know, because I see what's happening in with protests around the world. Mm. Um, I see churches as we try to struggle to make our way forward and function um, in these strange times. We see what's happening in South Australia versus Victoria. Mm. Um, and all of those factors, it's made me think a little bit more about the nature of um, how we see ourselves in relationship with God mm-hmm. um, and what God's really on about, and in particular mm-hmm. what's really uh, um, been reflecting on is the, the how quickly we are afraid, okay. how... Yeah. On the surf, just below the surface, mm. is panic. And I remember in all of the churches I've been at, it's noticeable if your budget starts to, or your giving starts to decline, right, or numbers start to decrease, it mm. doesn't. Ta- it's very quick, right, that the people of the church starts. Oh no! <laughs> um, and it's maybe just reflect on where's our confidence, okay. where's our yeah. hope. Because there's lots that wants to rob us of mm-hmm. both confidence and hope. So I've been doing lots of reflecting on, so what does it mean to believe in a God who created the world with a purpose in mind, uh, who had always intended to send his son because through him he was going to fulfil his purpose and is on about reconciling all things to himself and that one day that will be the reality. What does it mean to be a people who live Mm. in the midst of that story? Mm -hmm. How can we, um, if that's the reality, live with fear or loss of hope? Um, I feel like we have to batten down the hatches because the world's against us. Mm -hmm. And yet so often that's what characterises us as God's people. It's characterised us in the little decisions we make. I can't cope with any more. Life is too overwhelming. How could I possibly have a stranger live in my home? <laughs> to go to, back to our fostering experience. Yeah. Or within the church. We can't take risks. We can't try new things. Um, because who knows, the money will run out soon enough and then we won't be able to pay you and mm-hmm. we won't be able to put afford to keep the lights on or whatever. Mm. You know, we live with this sort of protective mentality as if God's not achieving his purpose. He's not on about fulfilling his plan. Mm. And yet we're certain that it is. It's funny, I'm actually preaching on this on coming <laughs> Sunday. Right. Uh, funnily, it's not really based on Act 7 and Stephen's speech. Mm-hmm. I'm going to attempt the adventurous. <laughs> I say this before I finish writing it, so who knows where it's going to go. Well, I'm going to use Stephen's methodology okay. yeah. to address the struggles or the, not the accusations, but some of the tendencies that are present in the world that clearly God is absent 
or impotent because look at the mess. Right. And look at the struggles I'm having where God's not answering my prayers. Mm-hmm. And yet the history of the scriptures, the biblical history, is lots of God's people felt that and experienced that same absence. Yeah. But as we see the story unfold, we know it's not true. Mm-hmm. He is not absent. He is at work. He is fulfilling his purpose. We should be living with that same confidence and hope. Yeah. And in fact, if to live with fear, to live with a loss of hope, is as bad as the accusers of Stephen mm-hmm. who blamed you of blasphemy mm-hmm. because they too were failing to, re- to accept Jesus as the Messiah who has accomplished God's purpose that God intended when he created the world mm. and asked to live with fear and loss of hope, we too are failing to believe that. Mm. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. How that <laughs> yeah, how that comes out. It's interesting that you, it's the story of Stephen. You know, you think if anyone, in one sense, you know, like logical way, if anyone had a right to be afraid, it's Stephen who's yeah. about to be stoned to death. <laughs> and yet actually there's something about that kind of almost he's been set free yeah. to go, I don't yeah. have to be afraid. I, yeah. Like, what have I got to lose? Let's Absolutely. put it all on the line for Jesus Absolutely. kind of thing. Yeah, because there yeah. is that, that boldness that mm. we can have that is gentle and respectful and gracious with others, but it comes out of a confidence, not in ourselves and not in mm. our methodology, but in the God who has accomplished. Mm. So. Preach it, brother. It's a bit more of a radical in you, Mark, than we might see all the time. Oh, yeah, so I'm much more radical. <laughs> in fact, you talked about this, my you know, secrecies at the beginning. If you ask my elders, and in yeah. fact, elders of all of the churches I've been a part of, yeah. it's I'm constantly looking for new opportunities and new adventures to go on. And it's, mm. yeah, it's nothing better than a good adventure. Ah, good Jesus adventure, can't beat it. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, Mark, is there is there anything I guess you want to leave us with? I was thinking about Stephen, you know, his last words. What's the burning passion? <laughs> What's the final thought that you'd like to you're leave stiff, us with today? No, no. <laughs> Perhaps not that one. Yeah, not Stephen's last words. To the best <laughs> no, <to> his... no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it's in the midst of whatever you're facing, remember who God is mm-hmm. and what God's done. It's actually about God. It's not about us. Mm-hmm. And that's really good news. It's good news for us as pastors. It's good news for us in the pew, people following Jesus, wherever you are, whatever circumstance you face. Mm -hmm. Um, God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. God is for you, not against you. What can man do to us? Mm -hmm. And it's good news for the world. It's it's the gospel. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Movement Today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's Essay, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest. <laughs>